Chapter 3 of Liza of Lambeth by W. Somerset Maugham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by blogdelacanzen.wordpress.com The following day was Sunday. Liza, when she was dressing herself in the morning, felt the hardness of fate and the impossibility of eating one's cake and having it. She wished she had reserved her new dress, and had still before her the sensation of a first appearance in it. With a sigh, she put on her ordinary, everyday working dress, and proceeded to get the breakfast ready for her mother, who had been out late the previous night, celebrating new arrivals in the street, and had the rheumatics this morning. "'Oh, my head!' she was saying, as she pressed her hands on each side of her forehead. "'I've got the neuralgia again. What shall I do? I don't know how it is, but it always comes on Sunday mornings. Ooh, and my rheumatics, they give me sich a doing in the night.' You'd better go to hospital, mother. Not I, answered the worthy lady, with great decision. You was a dozen young chaps messing you about and looking at you, and then they tells you to leave off the beer and spirits. Well, what I says? I says I can't do without my glass of beer. She thumped her pillow to emphasise the statement. What with the work I have to do, looking after you, and the cooking, and getting everything ready, and doing all the housework, and going out charring besides? Well, I says, well, I don't have a drop of beer, I says. To pull me together, I shall be under the turf in no time. She munched her bread and butter and drank her tea. When you've done breakfast, Liza, she said, you can give the grate a cleaning and my boots would do with a bit of polishing. Mrs Tyke in the new house will give you some blacking. She remained silent for a bit, then said, I don't think I shall get up today, Liza. My rheumatics is bad. You can put the room straight and cook the dinner. All right, mother. You stay where you are and I'll do everything for you. Well, it's only what you ought to do, considering all the trouble you've been to me when you was young, and considering that when you was born the doctor thought I should never get through it. What have you done with your week's money, Liza? Oh, I've put it away, answered Liza quietly. Where? asked her mother. Where it'll be safe. Where's that? Liza was driven into a corner. Why do you want to know? she asked. Why shouldn't I know? Do you think I want to steal it from you? Nah, not that. Well, why won't you tell me? Oh, things safer when only one person knows where it is. This was a very discreet remark, but it set Mrs. Kemp in a whirlwind of passion. She raised herself and sat up in the bed, flourishing her clenched fist at her daughter. I know what you mean, you. You. Her language was emphatic, her epithets picturesque, but too forcible for reproduction. You think I'd steal it, she went on. I know you. Do you think I'd go and take your dirty money? Well, mother, said Liza. When I've told you before, the money's perspired like. What do you mean? It got less. Well, I can't help that, can I? Anyone can come in here and take the money. If it's hidden away, they can't, can they, mother? Said Liza. Mrs. Kemp shook her fist. You dirty slut, you, she said. You think I'll take your money? Why, you ought to give it to me every week instead of saving it up and spending it on all sorts of muck while I have to grind my very bones down to keep you. You know, mother, if I didn't have a little bit saved up, we should be rather short when you're down in your luck. Mrs. Kemp's money always ran out on Tuesday, and Liza had to keep things going till the following Saturday. I don't talk to me, proceeded Mrs. Kemp. When I was a girl, I give all my money to my mother. She never had to ask for nothing. On Saturday, when I come home with my wages, I give it her every farthing. That's what a daughter ought to do. I can say this for myself. Behaved by my mother like a gal should. None of your prodigal sons for me. She didn't have to ask me for three a pence to get a drop of beer. Liza was wise in her generation, 
She held her tongue and put on her hat. Now you're going out and leaving me. I don't know what you get to in the street. No good, I'll be bound. And here am I, left alone. And I might die for all you care. In her sorrow at herself, the old lady began to cry. And Liza slipped out of the room and into the street. Leaning against the wall of the opposite house was Tom. He came towards her. Hello, she said as she saw him. What are you doing here? I was waiting for you to come out, Liza, he answered. She looked at him quickly. I ain't coming out with you today, if that's what you mean, she said. I never thought of asking you, Liza, after what you said to me last night. His voice was a little sad, and she felt so sorry for him. But you did want to speak to me, didn't you, Tom, she said, more gently. You've got a day off tomorrow, ain't you? Bank holiday, yes. Why? Why, because they've got a drag starting from the Red Lion that's going down to Chingford for the day, and I'm going. Yes, she said. He looked at her doubtfully. Will you come too, Liza? It'll be a regular beano. There's only going to be people in the street. Eh, Liza? No, I can't. Why not? I ain't got it. I ain't got the oofdish. I mean, won't you come with me? No, Tom, thank you. I can't do that neither. You might as well, Liza. It wouldn't hurt you. No, it wouldn't be right. I can't come out with you and then mean nothing. It would be doing you out of an outing. I don't see why, he said, very crestfallen. I can't go on keeping company with you after what I said last night. I shan't enjoy it a bit without you, Liza. You get somebody else, Tom. You'll do without me all right. She nodded to him and walked up the street to the house of her friend Sally. Having arrived in front of it, she put her hands to her mouth in trumpet form and shouted, Oi, 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 Sally. A couple of fellows standing by copied her. Ay, 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 Sally. Gone, said Liza, looking round at them. Sally did not appear, and she repeated her call. The men imitated her, and half a dozen took it up, so that there was enough noise to wake the seven sleepers. Ay, 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 Sally. A head was put out of a top window, and Liza, taking off her hat, waved it, crying, Come on down, Sally. All right, old gal, shouted the other. I'm coming. So's Christmas, was Liza's repartee. There was a clatter down the stairs, and Sally, rushing through the passage, threw herself onto her friend. They began fooling, in reminiscence of a melodrama they had lately seen together. Oh, my darling duck, said Liza, kissing her and pressing her with affected rapture to her bosom. My sweetest sweet, replied Sally, copying her. And how does your ladyship today? Oh, with immense languor, first class. And is your Royal Highness quite well? I deeply regret, answered Liza, but my Royal Highness has got the collywobbles. Sally was a small, thin girl, with sandy hair and blue eyes, and a very freckled complexion. She had an enormous mouth with terrible square teeth set wide apart, which looked as if they could masticate an iron bar. She was dressed like Liza, in a shortish black skirt, and an old-fashioned bodice, green and grey, and yellow with age. Her sleeves were tucked up to the elbow, and she wore a singularly dirty apron that had once been white. "'What have you got your hair in them things for?' asked Liza, pointing to the curl papers. Going out with your young man today? No, I'm going to stay here all day. What for, then? Why, Harry's going to take me to Shingford tomorrow. Oh, in the Red Lion break? Yes. Are you going? Nah. Not? Well, why don't you get round Tom? He'll take you. And jolly glad he'll be, too. He asked me to go with him, but I wouldn't. Swap me, Bob, why not? I ain't keeping company with him. You might have gone with him all the same. Nah, you're going with Harry, ain't you? 
Yes. And you're going to have him? Right again. Well, I couldn't go with Tom and then throw him over. Well, you are a mug. The two girls had strolled down towards the Westminster Bridge Road, and Sally, meeting her young man, had gone to him. Liza walked back, wishing to get home in time to cook the dinner. She went slowly, but she knew every dweller in the street, and as she passed the group sitting at their doors, as on the previous evening, but this time mostly engaged in peeling potatoes or shelling peas, she stopped and had a little chat. Everyone liked her and was glad to have her company. Good old Liza, they would say, as she left them. She's a rare good sort, ain't she? She asked after the aches and pains of all the old people, and delicately inquired after the babies, past and future. The children hung on to her skirts and asked her to play with them, and she would hold one end of the rope while tiny little ragged girls skipped, invariably entangling themselves after two jumps. She had very nearly reached home when she heard a voice cry, Morning! She looked round and recognised the man whom Tom had told her was called Jim Blakeston. He was sitting on a stool at the door of one of the houses, playing with two young children, to whom he was giving rides on his knee. She remembered his heavy brown beard from the day before, and she had also an impression of great size. She noticed this morning that he was, in fact, a big man, tall and broad, and she saw besides that he had large masculine features and pleasant brown eyes. She supposed him to be about forty. Morning, he said again, as she stopped and looked at him. Well, you needn't look as if I was going to eat you up, because I ain't, he said. Who are you? I'm not afraid of you. What are you so blooming red about? he asked pointedly. Well, I'm off. You ain't shirty, because I kissed you last night. I'm not shirty, but it was pretty cool, considering like as I didn't know you. Well, you ran into my arms. That I didn't. You ran out and caught me. And kissed you before you could say Jack Robinson. He laughed at the thought. Well, Liza, he went on. Seeing as how I kissed you against your will, the best thing you can do to make it up is to kiss me not against your will. Me, said Liza, looking at him open-mouthed. Well, you are a pill. The children began to clamour for the riding, which had been discontinued on Liza's approach. Are them your kids? she asked. Yes, them two's on them. How many have you got? Five. The eldest gal's fifteen, and the next one, who's a boy's twelve. And then there are these two, and baby. Well, you've got enough for your money. Too many for me, and more coming. Oh, well, said Liza, laughing. That's your fault, ain't it? Then she bade him good morning and strolled off. He watched her as she went, and saw half a dozen little boys surround her and beg her to join them in their game of cricket. They caught hold of her arms and skirts and pulled her to their pitch. No, I can't, she said, trying to disengage herself. I've got the dinner to cook. Dinner to cook, shouted one small boy. Why, they always cooks the cat's meat at the shop. You little so-and-so, said Liza, somewhat inelegantly, making a dash at him. He dodged her and gave a whoop, then turning, he caught her round the legs, and another boy, catching hold of her round the neck, they dragged her down, and all three struggled on the ground, running over and over. The other boys threw themselves on top, so that there was a great heap of arms and legs and heads, waving and bobbing up and down. Liza extricated herself with some difficulty, and taking off her hat, she began cuffing the boys with it, using all the time the most lively expressions. Then, having cleared the field, she retired victorious into her own house and began cooking the dinner. End of chapter 3